Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's shitty Beatles of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. And Brian, have you watched uh, Wayne's World in a while? No. Is that what that's a reference to? Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, did you see the shitty Beatles? It's like, no, were they any good? You go, no, man, they suck. <laughs> I do not remember that interaction. Uh, yeah, it's not very good. Uh, anyway, all of uh, was Mike Myers movies, uh, you know, they, they hold up a little bit, but not very much at all. Um, I could see that. Maybe the first five, six of them, but uh, I can't imagine that Austin uh, Powers 6 was any good. Yeah, I, I like. I think Goldfinger was on TBS or something. I was over at my house or somebody's house that had cable, and uh, I, it was hard to get through <laughs> just from one commercial yeah, thing to the next. Why did yeah. you subject yourself to that? Yeah, I don't know. Some I, it was one of these situations where some it was just on in the room, and like yeah. I don't know if it was a low point conversation. I just you know you just like zone out and stare at the television. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it did not uh, fare well. It was the the fat bastard thing, and I'm like, why is oh Beyonce in this? Anyway, uh, yeah. So next time it's the uh, Mike Myers uh, t- of a TV show, I guess. Uh, Fair but, enough. But this time we're talking about uh, episode seven of season. Three called The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Um, this is written for television by George R. R. Martin. Does that surprise you? Yeah, actually, it kind of does. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that on the second watch through when I was taking the notes. Huh. Uh, yeah, because okay. there's some well, cringeworthy stuff in here. Yeah, there is. Um, and not a whole lot of uh action, I didn't think. Um, but I think, like we discussed in the last episode, it's in a lull before we're going to see some action here in a couple of episodes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I'm going to think this is slightly below average. Uh, that's my initial impressions. And maybe talking with it, uh, talking about it with you will change that, but uh, that's where I'm at right now. I agree with you. And so uh, The Bear in the Main Fair, of course, is a reference to one of the two songs that exist in this universe. <laughs> right, just two songs. Uh, yeah, and I, I read the lyrics. Is that a song about a bear raping a maiden? Yeah, it's about it's, no, it's just about a dude raping a maiden. But they're using a bear as like a, a way of sanitizing it, I guess. So it can be a kid song, I guess, or like a like oh, a fun okay. drinking song. Yeah. Um, okay. So like, if it was like Paddington committed a sexual assault, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just yeah. it's like one of those furries. You know what furries are? Oh, if you're sure. at work right now, guys, Sam Shu. If you're at work right now, uh, just Google search uh, for furries. Uh, it's like if it was the man in the yellow coat, no way. <laughs> but if it's what's that monkey? Curious George. Curious George. Yeah, no yeah, problem. Let's write a song and sing it. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's get right into this. So um, starts off. Uh, we're now south of the wall. Orel's eagle is soaring overhead while Tormund and the Funky Bunch heads towards uh, Castle Black after successfully scaling the wall. Egret, uh, the Libertarian, makes fun of John for using roads. And also, she makes fun of uh, Southern armies for marching in time and uh, carrying banners that uh, easily identify them and their allegiance or allegiances and functions. Um, she also says John knows nothing. Orel comes up behind him and says he agrees. Orel also shares uh, his and the Wildlings, I guess, personal philosophy, which isn't uh, a kuna matata. It's more like uh, the Outback slogan: "No rules, just right." Sure. Um, you know, people do this when it suits them, does that when it suits them. Um, and you just don't get it, John, uh, as he tells him. And that's why uh, it'll never last or he'll never hold on to her. So 
it's obvious uh, that Orel, I guess, is feeling jealous or somehow cares. Um, more so than just having John, who he thinks is a uh, a traitor uh, in his midst. It's more than that uh, because it's, he's bringing uh, Egret into this equation, right? Yeah, and he brings it up later and confirms it. Oh, yeah, I'm this just saying is, at this point. Yeah, that was some really incredible shot uh, to open the scene, I, I thought, of the wall. Yeah, was, it wasn't was overdone really cool. either. It looked like... Like it could be real, yeah. Like it should probably look. Um, the the interaction between Egret and John, uh, I recall saying I enjoyed it last episode. This one was a little bit. I I guess I stopped enjoying it. Maybe I already reached my maximum capacity for her just mocking him and saying, "Hey, things in the South are different." Um, yeah. Well, you're gonna get more of it later on. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, uh, uh, yeah. But uh, not much to the scene. I didn't think. Nope. Not at all. Seem kind of out of line for George R. Martin. Um, now that you've told me that he wrote this yeah, episode, yeah, it's really uh, baffling. Yeah, huh? Interesting. Next, we go to uh, Rob Stark's tent, and he's with the gang. Uh, they discuss the upcoming fray, totally nuptials. Um, Black, the Blackfish is, of course, coarse, and uh, uh, discusses how a fray is, is like a, a wet horse? shit. It's coarse. He's a coarse. <laughs> he's Apologize. a coarse. But yeah, horse is a horse, horse, of course, of course. Unless uh, I do not want to sing the Mr. Ed theme. Uh, we'll have that in the outtakes. Uh, so the Blackfish apologizes to Lisa regarding his comment about wet shits, but apparently she's used to wet shits. Yep. Um, they, uh, everyone in the tent is kind of concerned that Frey might be offended by a delay. I guess they're taking their sweet time and getting to the Frey nuptials. But Edmure is such a prize, everything will be okay. Uh, everyone gets up to leave except for Rob and Talisa. And they have some tent fun after Cat throws a disapproving look their way. Uh, we see some butts, uh, equal opportunity butts this episode. Uh, Rob then threatens to, uh, after finishing up the tent fun, Rob uh, threatens to attack Delisa so she doesn't put on clothes. Apparently he's got a very short refractory period. I was very impressed with this. Uh, Talisa begins to write a letter to her mother. Uh, presumably about him and what's been going on. Uh, apparently, Talisa has not told her mom that she is a queen yet. Rob promises to go to Volantis to visit uh, Talisa's mother, and then uh, Talisa tells Rob that she is pregnant. Rob is very excited about the news, and uh, apparently, some more tent fun was forthcoming. Mm. Yeah. So, what would you call it? A, a refractory period? What's what's this? Where, you don't know that term? Uh, what What is the term again? Obviously, I'm not aware of it. Or Refractory period? Yep. Are you just talking <laughs> times between bones? Like, Yeah, are you feigning? Uh, no, no, no. Like, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Prowess? No, I, I knew what you were talking about in context, but I'd never heard the uh, phrase or the term before, I guess. Refractory period, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm here to teach, Doug. Oh, I appreciate it. The last time you talked about menses, I think. Uh, so I'm learning all sorts yeah. of stuff. Uh, but I forget, okay. I forget you that you grew up in an Amish community. I grew. I went to public school, unlike some people I know. All right, so <laughs> yeah. Um, so first things first is they do point out, and it's probably true that Edmure is the Lord of River Run, and like, you know, he's would be the best match the phrase have ever had. So that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're the McPoyles of Westeros. Right. I mean, they're trash people. Who are only there because they happen to have this one asset in the in the bridge. Whereas all the other great lords took their kingdoms and and fiefdoms or whatever by violence. Was these guys the yeah. merchants? And you're belittling that. 
Well, no, I, I'm curious. How did the phrase even come and take charge of this? Of, they, of just, the, uh, they just started. They just set up shop and set up a bridge and charged people to cross it. Is that really actually what it is? That is, and they just huh. kept building up over time. Gotcha. And then uh, the old old Walder just bagged enough so that he could have his own army, or they were able to afford an army. Yeah, I guess I, I I don't know if it started with uh, Walder or if like it's is a long tradition of having a million kids. Uh, but gotcha. um, we just know about Walder, I think. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, when I saw Talisa writing, I knew that the wed wedding was wed wed wedding. <laughs> the second time I've said it, I knew that the red wedding was impending. So I thought, oh, what? Is she maybe a Lannister spy? Huh. It, was it that way in the books? I mean, No, absolutely that. not. I mean, she's a, a yeah. show invented character. Uh, but the, the, the woman that Rob men- uh, marries in the books is a Westernling who's from like a vassal of uh, the Lannisters. And her the whole point was her mom like kind of engineered the whole, socially engineered it so that her daughter... Um, Jane Westerling married Rob Stark, um, and her mother was kind of like in on it and got rewarded after the Red Wedding. So I thought they would try to work that in because Talisa is a total show invention character, um, mm-hmm. or standing in for um, Jane Westerling. So, uh, but no, that that would be really interesting. But it's not. And the reason I thought is because she's writing in a foreign language. Rob doesn't understand. She could be like right out in the order, open, saying, "Okay, they're going to the twins. They'll be there in two days." Like yeah, uh, it seemed like a perfect opportunity for some intrigue, and we know that you know. Sometimes they don't trust us. I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, that might have been uh, difficult for a show watcher only to pick up on. Um, they could have paid it, it off later, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess if at the end of the red wedding, her and Roos are holding hands or something, then it would have been, I think, sufficiently conveyed. But yeah, that that would have been interesting. Yeah, would have been, but instead we got what we got, which is fine. Twasn't. Uh, anything else to say about this whole uh, arrangement here? It's kind of a long scene. Yeah, it is. Uh, I just uh, Black, uh, Blackfish's line about the wet shits was pretty funny, um, but uh, other than that, not really. No, not really. Yeah. Okay, uh, we go back to visit uh, Tormund. He's given John sex advice, uh, but John already knows the old uh, uh, "you have to lick it before you can stick it" routine that Tormund trying to. <laughs> Yeah, trying to impress upon him. It's, yeah, it's gross, but that's pretty much what he's trying to say. It was this wet seal analogy. Yeah, and John already knows about foreplay. He's basically a master of it, so uh, no big deal there. Um, yeah, John should be handing out the lessons to Tormund. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, you know, the alphabet. You should make that with your tongue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Arel, um he confronts um, Egret while John's getting his sex lesson. And uh, he basically expresses his affections for her um, and says, you know, yes, he's jealous. And he's like, if you were my woman, I'd tell you you're beautiful and fierce. Uh, basically saying he's better. He would be better to her than John. Um, but Agrit admits that he is, she is in love with John. Uh, Aurel attempts to sow more discontent by saying, you know, you'll find out what he really is. Basically, we've, we've heard it a million times, so it's not like a shock <laughs> when John, like, betrays her. Um because it just they keep rehashing it and rehashing it. Other characters keep saying it. He's not going to stay true to you. He's still a man of the night's watch. So I don't know. In the book, it felt more like you didn't know. Because uh, you got to like 
you were privy to his own thoughts. Uh, and he was seeing, he did have an appreciation for the wildlings. It's just like, you know, uh, Dances with Wolves or Avatar to use, you know, maybe a, a movie the kids have seen uh, where a guy goes over the wall or in, and meets the crazy native people and sees their ways and thinks better about it. Um, so, but here we get none of that. We get no suspense. He's, you know, they're, they're tele- uh, uh, telegraphing that John's going to side with the Night's Watch here. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, ordinarily, the the Torben's sex lesson I thought would have been stupid, but I, he sold it so well. Yeah. I thought it was it was really funny, um, and it still this still just keeps making me wonder what is what is uh, what, what is Egret's plan with John and the Wildlings. I don't I do not get where this could possibly end up positive for them. Yeah, and I'll bring that up again when we talk about Shay and Tyrion because yeah. I feel like it's mirrored there pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So next, uh, we go to King's Landing and Sansa and Marjorie are speaking. Uh, Sansa describes how she dreamed of King's Landing as a child, how it was full of pageantry and pomp and circumstances, but realized it's actually shit. Uh, Marge and her grandmother uh, want Sansa to be happy despite the circumstances. Um, so Marjorie attempts to, I think, manipulate. I think would be a good term to describe this scene. Uh, Marjorie points out the redeeming qualities about Tyrion. He's not all bad, and he may actually result in in Sansa having the king of Casterly Rock or in the North. Sansa realizes that uh, this means that she would have to bone down with Tyrion. Sansa discusses her prejudices against little people. She's very intolerant, not cool at all. Uh, Marjorie says in response that she knows that Tyrion has banged around and he may actually be a skilled lover. Sansa naively asks how she knows all of this. Did her mother tell her? To which uh, Marjorie Tyrell shockingly smirks and uh, says a sarcastic thing. Yeah, of course it was my mother. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So, basically, um, she is not a virgin. uh, And it's made crystal clear from that comment as well as the earlier comment when she laments... You know, women don't know what they want until they tried uh, what they, they they get a chance to try, and they don't try nearly enough before it's too late. Which is obviously, you know, her saying she wants to bone more. Um, she's only had a couple visits to Bone Town, or maybe a few, but she wants to <laughs> she wants to go there yeah. on a regular basis with many. Just try different things out, and you you can understand. So it's, it's not like she's coming off a slut here. She just understands that she's familiar with the joys of sex and is not in any rush to. Uh, give it all up and you know well because now from now on her her sex is going to involve most likely a crossbow (laughs) or a stabbing implement or uh yeah mm -hmm. yeah Um, she can get used to it though yeah i wonder what the tyrell um other than keeping sansa in their good graces what is the tyrell's motivation to give a shit about sansa anymore because when you said usefulness is done for them yeah when you said that she's trying to manipulate sansa I was just like, but for what purpose? Like, Sansa's kind of like, she's a piece that's now off the board unless the Tyrells are going to come up with another plan uh, to steer her away. I guess. Or, or, well, or um, they probably know that Tyrion's head is almost always on the chopping block to some extent. I mean, an eventual Tyrell, Sansa marriage isn't off the board. Uh, But I guess there's no reason to burn her. You know, might as well keep her in good graces. And also, I, I do think even though Marjorie is manipulative, I think that she's uh, deep down a decent person and probably does care about Sansa to some extent. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, and, and once again, I don't think it was total manipulation because I just don't see, there's no clear 
um, end goal or agenda set out. So I don't know what she would try to be manipulating Sansa towards. Well, and I say that because uh, Marjorie, I think we know, um, is a schemer. Is, yeah, and she, well, she also is able to identify what will work on people. She reads the room about as good as anybody in the show. And the thing that would most likely make uh, Sansa actually be happy to be married to Tyrion is he treats her somewhat well. And also he cre- he makes her a queen or uh, royalty by virtue of her their, their child. Uh, which I do think Sansa, despite saying that she's not in the pageantry anymore, uh, certainly is to a large extent. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned something, and I wrote it down. Um, she says, yeah, your son might be the Lord of Casterly Rock, and we know that's not going to happen because in order for her son to be the Lord of Casterly Rock, uh, her husband, her future husband, Tyrion Lannister, has to be the Lord of Casterly Rock, and oh, Tywin yeah. made that crystal clear. Now, I'm sure they don't know this. Sure. Uh, but... That's just one of those things that, like, nope, I don't think that'll happen. Absolutely. Although, mm-hmm. you know, Tywin could lament, like, on his deathbed or something. Or who knows, if Tyrion does have a son, he could just skip him. And just be like, okay, well, you know, my grandson uh, is Lord of Castle Rock. I don't know. I don't That's entirely possible as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we check in on, uh, speaking of Tyrion, the husband-to-be, we check on him and Bronn, and they're discussing the prospects of uh, Tyrion's marriage to Sansa. Uh, Tyrion's lamenting that she's a child and uh, Bronn's like well how young have you how young of girls have you had sex with and the show and Tyrion avoid answering which is probably wise um, because all the you know the ages here are very you know uh, ambiguous but uh, Bronn says that you know Tyrion wants to have sex with her he just doesn't want to admit it and uh he also tries to uh, motivate Tyrion by saying he'll rule the North in Sansa's name. Um, so it's very similar to the same the scene we just had with uh, Large Marge and Sansa. Um, yes. Somebody trying to convince one of the people that are getting married to just, you know, have sex and it won't be that bad. And that, hey, even if you don't like having sex with this person, there's power in it for you. So uh, it's very mirroring, I think. Yeah, and I don't understand Tyrion's reluctance necessarily either. I mean, I I know she's young and she's kind of been beaten around, but um, she is beautiful, and and he should know that this is not a bad outcome for her, right? In a vacuum, because I mean, look at all this other. She could be married to Joffrey or right, um, Loras. Uh, you know, maybe that would have worked out well, but he's still a homosexual. I'm not, you know, and I'm not saying that as a judgment against him, but uh, I doubt the marriage would have well, been happy. We know that she's not at least. <clears throat> You know, she doesn't. She she's no inclination that she is. So she would be unfulfilled at least sexually, uh, and Tyrion yeah. could you know whatever fill that role. And I'm not referring to a vagina as a role. <laughs> a role? What the voice hole? <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so. but I I think like Tyrion should know that it, he's already shown some inclination to protect her, and where who better to uh, how better can he protect her by? Uh, you know, taking her under his wing as yeah. like marrying her. I know exactly. That, I mean, it sounds awful and it is awful, but it's like a best case scenario because they're not going to let Sansa go for Christ's sake. Right. It's a good result for her. So, uh, I mean, at least in Given the, the circumstances. The show. Yes. yes, exactly. Yes, yes. I did think this was a pretty good Bran and Tyrion scene. Um, you know, we we enjoy the combo of those two, especially the the, the comments about bad thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it didn't Pretty, go on too long either. It wasn't and no. it wasn't overblown or overly comedic. 
which I yeah. feel they err on the side of that too much. So this is just them hanging out, um, which I appreciated as well. Absolutely. So okay. next we go to the throne room, and I think this is probably the best scene in the, the episode. Oh, yeah. And one of the better ones in the season. So we go to the throne room. Jaffa sitting on the Iron Throne. Tywin enters, uh, apparently having been summoned. It's apparent that Jaffa set this uh, set the throne room up to be very dramatic. He's got everything lit. He's by himself. No one else is in there. Guards escort Tywin in, um, assuming that this is a, a attempted power play by Joff. Joff requests uh, a, a a summary of these small council meetings. Tywin says that Joffrey can attend, but Joffrey says he's very busy doing king things. Uh, not entirely clear of what course. that's about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that we've known he's done is murdered Roz. Uh, Tywin has been apparently been holding the meetings at the the Tower of the Hand of the King, because that's where he works. It's a real time saver for him. Joff complains about this arrangement because if he wanted to attend, he would have to walk all the way to the Hand of the King, Tower of the Hand of the King. Uh, to which uh, Tywin responds that you can have him. Oh, actually, before he responds, uh, Tywin approaches Joff, intimidating and kind of standing over top of him, saying that we can have you carried. Uh, to which Joff drops the uh, the matter. Joff then asks about Danny and the rumors that she has dragons. Uh, Tyrion is surprised that Joff knows about the dragons, but he does confirm that uh, Danny does have the dragons. Joff wants something done about the dragons. But Tywin believes that the dragons are likely miniatures. They're just curiosities. The last dragons were apparently the size of a, a Buick um, at largest. When Joff questions the logic or, or the certainty of this uh, position on the size, Tywin says he's relying on the dragon experts. Um, Joff continues to be upset that he's not being consulted as part of the uh, small council meetings or being apprised of what's been going on, to which Tywin says he will be counseled. But it is absolutely clear that he does not give a fuck about what Joff has to say or uh, about being counseled, and Joff is uh, also aware of that as well. So, yeah, um, I don't pay attention too much to, like, um, filmmaking, uh, but this was – it was obvious what they were doing here. So they, like, when you first see the, the, the scene, he enters and it's a long shot and Tyrion, or, uh, Tywin is beneath the throne because the, the throne is obviously elevated. Uh, but then when he – ascends the stairs uh you get this shot of these two fires in the foreground and uh, tywin uh, ascending the stairs to the throne and there's two fires in the foreground the one on uh, tywin's side is like very big and very bright and taller than the one in the scone on the left which is like kind of like diminutive and kind of flickering which is supposed to obviously represent joffrey and uh Tywin, which is great, and then they change to this thing where there there are all these close ups, and you can feel claustrophobic, and it's looking down on Joffrey. Um, it's just it's it's well done, um, and you know Charles Dance is so great, and you hate <laughs> you hate Joffrey, so it's it's great to watch him squirm. And I'll give it to Joffrey too. Like I feel like his acting was elevated by this scene as well because he had some great squirming and reaction shots there. Um, I mean, and I just kept thinking about it. This kid's probably only like 15, 16. The hell of an yeah, but we've also Yeah, but we've also kind of discussed how he's a dickhead, where I think he was would walk around set smoking a pipe and reading Kierkegaard. <laughs> like, just like how I'm sure he probably had a fucking ascot or like. <laughs> I, tell, I think I told, uh, if you listen to the um, the Shameful Dead, the uh, other podcast that we do about uh, oh, well, The no, Walking no, Dead. Well, anyway, I I watched one uh, Talking Dead, the, the series premiere, um, 
and all the actors, it, it started, they were doing an outdoor like thing and it started to rain and all the actors were being just like every stereotypical actor you've ever heard of where they were just really being babies about the rain and like are really self-absorbed um, and just, just awful people. So I've heard, I've heard countering things that the guy, um, Joffrey, who plays Joffrey is like the nicest guy in the world, but I believe it. I believe he could be just like a, just a room of pretentious, like cats made into people. That's how I picture all these actors. <laughs> and actors. Right? Meow. See? Meow. <laughs> Fancy feast, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. They're a bunch of cats. That's what I imagine actors are. Anyway, yeah. um, I also like that, that move at the end. Uh, when when Tywin like leaves and he turns around like, oh, your grace, and then gives him like his due with like a bow and as like an afterthought. That was like a great dick power move thing to have happen. Oh yeah, that it could not be any more mocking if he tried. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. But just like um, Edmure, um, Joffrey seems like a brilliant <laughs> because Joffrey proves to be right. The dragons yeah, that's are, what I was about to say. The yeah, dragons they, are something to be concerned about. Just like Edmure's like, oh, I don't think we should rush into this thing with the Red Wedding. Uh, they're both being set up to be like the idiots in the room, but they're both brilliant and they're both right. In hindsight, at least. What I don't know if Chaff is brilliant. But well, he he's, he's concerned about fucking Daenerys. Obviously, Tywin, yeah. there's more bigger fish to fry. Ty, uh, Joffrey should be worried about the Tyrells uh, and Tywin should be worried about his son. But uh, which is how they both die. But um, but the the dragons are a threat. Yeah, but neither of them will live to see that that threat. Right. So. But still, us as viewers, it's it's making Joffrey not seem like a total idiot. I still think he's a total idiot. But go ahead. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Okay, so Danny and crew gaze upon the city of Yunkai and discuss how to take it. Jorah says they don't even need to bother with this city. Um, doesn't help them get to Westeros. Danny asks how many slaves live uh, there, and he says 200,000. Uh, and Danny replies, Well, I've got 200,000 reasons to sack the city, but a bitch ain't one. Um, and Dude, that was coming. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. I didn't even want to, it was just obligatory. Um, she sends a message that she wants to meet with the leaders of the city. They send out uh, Eyeliner, also known as Razdal. Um, he arrives in Danny's camp. Eyeliner starts talking about how great Yunkai is, and Danny immediately begins to try to intimidate him by feeding her dragons, um, who are pretty getting pretty big uh, and are vicious. And uh, the Yunkai guy offers Danny treasure, gold, and boats, uh, and she just will move on as a gift. Uh, Danny counters that she will give him the gift of his life um, if they free all the slaves, the slaves in the city, and give them uh, uh, recompense for the years of service. Uh, he obviously doesn't agree with this, so Danny steals his gold and dismisses him from the tent on the way out. He curses her and says that they have powerful friends, uh, and Danny tells Jorah to find out who these friends are. So, yeah, who are these friends? I don't know. Do we ever find out who the friends are? No. All I can think of it is this is like the the coalition they put together in season six to like come back and try to attack Danny, right? Maybe. I guess, but wasn't that a lot of that uh, just like slave masters came back or uh, new slave masters arose? I don't, I don't know that that's like some uh, some malignant force that's out there that we don't know about. Yeah, that's what it that's what it sounds like, and maybe it was like a I don't know a show thing that they never paid off, or they decided to go in another direction. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I will say that um, 
when you're going to negotiate with a slave laborer, maybe don't have slaves carry you to her tent. <sighs> Seems like a bad move. Yeah. Um, and so 200,000 slaves. Uh, do you think Danny's envisioning just freeing the people or turning them into her army? Or what do you think is her plan with actual uh, well, that slaves? Was my, that was my uh, quibble with the Unsullied. Like... She's like, yeah, you're free to go, but if you want to fight with me, and I kind of did save your lives, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't seem like she's 100% um, selfless in, in these actions. Uh, and you got to think, like, if they sack the city, a lot of those, the people defending the cities might be slaves themselves. So she's going to have to kill slaves to save slaves. It's all very confusing. Um and, and, and you know it's presented as Danny is you know her heart's in the right place. Obviously you know here on Ashamed of Thrones we do not endorse slavery. I know that's a you know a hard stance to take in this day and age, but uh, we are not pro-slavery. I just don't. I I agree with uh, Brian, and I don't know what her motivations are. Um, I, I I just think it's kind of unclear. Yeah, and it's a lot of mouths to feed. I mean, so what what right. happens if she takes over this city? Now, I mean, new power structures will eventually emerge, you would think, um, and eventually some people will be on top. It's not going to be a, a socialist, a socialist paradise. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It, even so, she's in charge of everyone, so even if it's uh, ostensibly – uh, voluntary, it still seems kind of bullshit. Um, well, this is what happens in the books is basically these these two cities, Astropor and Yunkai, um, they they don't go well. Like after she leaves, she conquers, but she doesn't leave like uh, a power structure in in place, and they go to shit. So like, yeah, this is her cutting her teeth on like rule uh, and conquering because this is basically like her her, her test her pilot uh, project, uh, I guess of. Uh, being a conqueror and a ruler. Um, so she's learning. This is her internship, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess. Uh, like I said, I have no idea who these <laughs> friends are, uh, but they made it seem like it'd be a big deal or it'd come back to bite her, and I don't, I don't know if it will. No, I don't think it does, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so next we go back to King's Landing. Shay and Tyrion are discussing um, the marriage arrangement, or actually chains initially. Uh, Tyrion is a pro- kind of trying to hint that maybe Shay should leave, but Shay is not hearing it, so Tyrion drops it. Shay is very upset that Tyrion has to marry Sansa and doesn't understand that he he has to, or basically he will probably be murdered. Shay right. wants to run away, but Tyrion is not hearing it. Tyrion, uh, as an alternative plan, offers to set her up in a nice house where they can still bang, but Shay is not interested. Uh, Tyrion still inexplicably loves her. Says that she will always be his lady, uh, to which Shay gets upset, says that she will just be his whore until he gets done banging her, and then she storms out, making me wonder why he still bothers. Uh, yeah, this this reminds me of, obviously, Ygritte and John, and I don't know what Tyrion's uh, best case scenario is here. I guess he just laid it out. Just like, yeah, I'll marry Sansa, but you and I will still be a thing. Uh, and of course, she Shay appropriately sees it like um, just like Gendry saw his relationship to Arya if he would have went back to Winterfell, in which he would always be serving the lady of the household. Uh, they would never be friends or on equal footing, and that's basically what would happen with Shay too. Like they would never be equals, or she would constantly be reminded that of who she is or her role. I guess I don't know. 
Yeah, but I don't know. She just doesn't have realistic expectations. I mean, what then, does she really expect? Yeah, and then I was thinking, what are her expectations? Like, she is a working woman. Uh, what? Not she has no other options, but she knows what her other options are. She could go back to like being a camp follower or whatever. Uh, or she yeah. could be Tyrion's main thing. <laughs> yeah, or just keep doing uh, doing what she's doing by being Sansa's uh, body woman. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I just. I don't know. That that's the one thing that annoys me sometimes about the show and some of these characters is when they're just being so non-realistic with their situations. Uh, it's baffling. Well, let me ask you this: We've had this conversation before. Is Shay in Ty- Tywin's pocket already, or uh, does she switch over there at the end? Or when do you think she abandons Tyrion? Gosh, I, I don't. Um, Gosh, I, I I always just kind of assume that it happened uh, during the ramp up to the trial, yeah, or shortly after the trial. I, I don't know that we have any information to suggest that it happened. Otherwise, no, we don't. Yeah, no. So, uh, absent that information, I would think the easiest thing to assume is just that because I think uh, Tywin was the architect of that trial, uh, or at least in large part was the architect of that trial. So, um, I would you, you have to assume that um, that that's when the thing kind of uh, developed. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's see. Where do we go next? Okay. <sighs> Soren King's Landing with Melisandre and Gendry. And they're piecing out on a boat. And they're going through the Blackwater through this beautiful wreckage of all these boats. There's like an overhead shot. And all these wreckages of the boats that are left over from the Battle of Blackwater are there. And Gendry can't believe that he's back in King's Landing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't believe you're back in King's Landing. What the fuck? And we'll get to that in a second. But Melisandre asked him about his dad, said, hey, did you miss your dad's house? And he says, I didn't know my dad. Um, Mel implies, hey, your talents and your strength must come from your parents. Haven't you ever wondered why you're so strong, so good at fighting? Um, Probably have an STD. It's probably because of your dad. And uh, Gendry's like, no, I'm lowborn. My mother was a, a travel uh, or a tavern wench. Uh, Mel says, that doesn't matter. My mom was a slave. Uh, and so was I. And Which basically undercuts her previous points about who her parents were, alluding to how much power or influence you have. Anyway, she says that the Red Keep is actually his father's house. And in, because the showrunners believe we're idiots, um, she just flat out saying, no, you are the bastard of Robert Baratheon. The son of the Andals and all that crap. All those titles. Uh, the scene ends with there's power in King's blood. Um, and I guess Gendry's taking it all in. Uh, so my question to you is what the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I assume that this, um, at least the location, is show invention. Uh, well, actually, we know it's show invention because Gendry's not actually the one that... Uh, that yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't I get Maybe just a... A way for the show to to show this cool. That's what I said. Shots. Like this, these so, these shots, these scenes are are cool looking. It reminds me of like Lord of the Rings, in which almost every shot is like a painting. But at the same time, it doesn't make any fucking sense. They shouldn't. There's no reason for them to go all the way back to King's Landing. This is not. No, I don't think it makes sense based on the geography at all. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't really get it. I'm not sure. Yeah, she kind of sticks out with being red head to toe and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I don't know. Uh, and how dumb is Gendry? Well, he hasn't put any of this together. No. 
I mean, <laughs> and she kept laying it on thicker and thicker and thicker. And I'm as a, an audience member, I'm going, oh God, shut the fuck up. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been living this stuff. I mean, in 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 terms of the show, so I don't know how he hasn't put any of this together while she was just putting on layer after layer. Um, he's uh, as a as the offspring of a king who's uh, you would think that he would be uh, of above average intelligence, but maybe that's uh, nurture versus nature. And she says, "Don't you know how? how uh, have you thought about wondered how you're such a great warrior or all this stuff?" Has he really done anything other than just uh, no, like blacksmith? So what the fuck is she talking what about? What is she talking about? Yeah, he's not done anything. He hasn't fought any great battles or anything, no. any battles that I know about. Yeah, so I don't know. This is a weird scene. And besides, I'm surprised that this is something that Gurm came up with. Yeah, that's my thing. Is I when I saw that, I was like, mm, there's a bunch of crap in here. Uh, yeah. Especially uh, what begins the next scene. Ooh. I'll take that away. Yeah. So. Yeah, next we go to uh, the Doctors Without Borders headquarters. Uh, Arya is refusing to talk to Beric and Thoros. She questions them regarding selling Gendry, to which they blame their god, which is uh, who is the true power. Seems like an excuse just to get some gold. Arya says that she believes the only true power is death. Uh, Arrow Man arrives back to say that there's a Lannister raiding party or a Lannister party nearby, which will they will attack presumably to obtain more gold this delays the plan to return aria to river run uh, which upsets her aria then scampers away and clegane is apparently hanging out near the his former abductors and grabs her and that's the end of the scene yeah in the book i think it explains that he was hanging out near the abductors trying to get his gold back yeah. uh, and then he got her um uh yeah, so the beginning of it where he's just like we serve the one true God. And she's like it's not my God. Who is your God, my child? She turns to him and goes, "Death." I thought this is f- the worst. That's the fucking worst because it's so on the like nail on the head of the fucking uh, like she goes to to a death cult that actually worships death. Later, yeah. it's just too on the nose. It's it's fucking dumb dumb shit. Um. Also, normally I criticize shows. Uh, like this show and others for being obsessed with beauty and all the actors being perfect. But Jesus Christ, Thoros or Thanos? He's fucking disgusting. They need to... (laughs) (laughs) He's fucking ratty here and he's eating chicken with his hands and it's greasy and he's licking them and there's dirt under his fingernails. Uh, He's just disgusting. Like, they need to clean him up. Maybe get, like, I don't know, um, the guy who played Thor, put him in in there. Uh, Chris Helmsworth? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't mind it. I kind of like seeing these greasy looking people on, on the TV show. I agree, but this guy is, is another level. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, uh, so Jamie visits uh, Brienne in her rooms at Hall. She's in her nice fancy dress because she's a lady uh, wearing ladies is what's supposed to be uh, wearing what ladies are supposed to be wearing. Um, uh, he says he's leaving for King's Landing in the morning and Brienne's going to stay there, uh, but She's not going to be with Roos because Roos is heading to the Twins for Edmure's wedding. And that means she's going to be stuck with Locke. Uh, she makes Jamie feel bad and makes him promise her that she w- he will abide by Kat's wishes and free her daughters. And he promises. So uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, she calls him Sir Jamie instead of Kingslayer, a sign of uh, respect. 
Uh, later, Jamie uh, is in the yard the next morning, getting ready to head out, and Kyburn, the nice guy, helps him uh, with his horse. Uh, Roos reminds Jamie that, hey, you're going to tell Tywin what happened, right? And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. He's like, a shame you can't make the wedding. And Jamie's like, yep, tell Rob Stark I send my regards, um, which that comes back in the Red Wedding. Um, I don't think Jamie meant it like that because probably he didn't know the full extent of what was going to happen. But, mm-hmm. um, And then while on his way out, Locke harasses Jamie, saying he'll take real good care of Brienne in a very threatening manner. Uh, the way he says it, so yeah, I don't know. I don't get what the plan is with for Brienne. <clears throat> I mean, she's she still has a royal father. I guess they do explain later that she's just not worth the the money to return. But you'd think you wouldn't want to piss off somebody who has um, at least some degree of power or influence. You think even you if they are on the other side? Name the the Kingslayer, the son of the most powerful man in the world. Or at least yeah, but Roos is involved now. That was just dumbass Locke uh, acting on his own. Um, but I, I mean, I think this is more just a device that is needed to show that uh, Jamie's pure at heart, as we see later in the episode, more yeah, than anything. This begins his. This begin. This is not begins, but this this follows with his redemption arc, which carries through to the end of the. So we're still in the middle of it. He's such a good guy right now. In season yeah. six. Fuck no, he isn't. I hate this goddamn show. <laughs> Anyway, sure. yeah, mm-hmm. Doug Rant coming. I feel it. Let's move on before I lose my shit. Speaking of Doug Rants, uh, we go to the Dreadfort, mm. and a couple of sexy ladies free Theon, give him a drink, and began to dress his wounds. Theon is suspicious, but the ladies asked to see his famous wang. Uh, I guess it's rumored uh, across countries that he has. Uh, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't, that didn't make any sense about his famous cock. Uh, keep going, though. Yeah, so uh, Theon remains terrified of his tormentor, but eventually the ladies, uh, or at least one of them, drops trowel and starts to uh, give him a little dry hump action. Theon starts to get into it, and the other lady disrobes, and suddenly uh, Ramsay busts up the orgy with his horn, slaps Theon with his horn, begins discussing Theon's famous cock, uh, and then summons some creeps to hold Theon and uh, off uh, or the scene cuts just as his wang is presumably being chopped off. Right. Uh, so they make it clear that Theon is promiscuous. I don't see how that translates into having a famous cock. I don't either. Uh, I mean, we've seen it. It was a decent looking crank. But yeah, it he, wasn't huge. It's not like he no. has a diphallus thing where he's got two dicks or something like it's, or like it's like a soda can or something. Like what's so famous about his dick? I don't get it. I don't know, and I don't think that we've ever heard that his crank is famous until this this episode. This moment, yeah. They could have yeah. dropped literally, like, I don't know, uh, somebody like Yara could have been like, hey, I've heard about your, hey, little brother, I heard about your dick. Yeah. Or, or While he was fingering her, yeah. <laughs> Big sister, you heard of my famous crank? <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Definitely weird. And that's all show invention, too. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's so strange for... Gurm to deviate this far off you of know what, what he's written other than maybe he's following the showrunner's outlines. That's what um, I think. I feel like yeah. he's given like, hey, th- you gotta write this scene, you gotta write this scene, you gotta write this scene. He's like, well, fuck. And hey, and by the way, these things have to happen. So you're just basically uh, just filling in the blanks here. You know what you should do? You're fucking fired. Yeah. <laughs> you're fucking fired. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should probably write George and find out what the deal is with that. 
already did it. Didn't get a response, unfortunately. Weird. That's strange. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we get more grit and John. So they're doing some deer hunting, and I guess she's a badass. She gets the deer. Later, they're walking along. Uh, Egret uh, stops, uh, stares at a broken down mill, thinks it's a castle. What a fucking idiot. Uh, John says Winterfell has towers three times as large. And it's just more of this. It's, it's what she said in the beginning. It's more of this like culture shock bullshit between the, the two of them. And it just keeps going and going and going. Anyway, um, Egret does a Jon Snow impression. Look, I'm Jon Snow. <laughs> Which is pretty great. <laughs> John explains what feigning is and how Egret's not like other girls. And Egret says, tra la 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 land or something like that at some point. And I was like, what the yeah. fuck did she say? <laughs> tra la 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 day um, John, at one point, gets real, though, and says, hey, the Wildling Rebellion's not going to happen. You guys are going to fail. Uh, and she's like, how do you know? And he's like, well, it's happened six times in the past thousand years. And we write that shit down, unlike you dumb yokels, uh, so we know how this ends. Uh, Egret says basically she asserts her possessive love of John uh, by just making out with him kind of like you know willfully being ignorant about not only the battle but also her relationship with John and that's kind of how it ends yeah uh, another meh um, it's basically the same as the last uh, the last or every scene in the last two episodes between this two. It's a basically a repeat of the same things. Yeah, but basically we did not need this three separate John scenes, I think. It's no. Just, it's just too much. No, and I think this uh, episode otherwise does a pretty good pacing job in terms of going from scene to scene. Uh, but to go back to the same repetitive thing three times uh, in this episode seemed kind of out of place. Um, okay, so next we go to uh, Brand and the gang. They're in a field again because they have no idea of how to have a camp that uh, is somewhat hidden where you won't be discovered by anybody going by. Uh, Osha is upset that she's doing all this work while Jojen talks to Bran. Osha thinks Jojen is talking about the dark arts, but Jojen tries to explain he's not, but can't exactly explain what he's telling Bran. Uh, Osha forbids talking until they reach Castle Black. Uh, Bran says that instead they are seeking the three-eyed raven, which Osha refuses. Bran says that he's had more and more dreams, and it's uh, it's my density. Osha gets upset because they she knows of the dangers, uh, which that the, they don't know of. Uh, she tells a story about her boyfriend Bruni, who which was one of the stupidest Bruni, names yeah. ever. This is, and then this is show invention, which George R. Martin is presumably writing, so it's just boggling. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, apparently Bruni left her and then returned back as a white, tried to kill her, but she was able to kill him by burning down the hut with him inside. Um, Osha took this as a sign to scamper from the north and then reiterates that she is taking them to Castle Black. So, again, another scene where what what was the point of it? I, I don't know. I think Bernie was just drunk. He came home and just Bernie. laid hands. Bernie? Oh, oh, my sweet, sweet Bruni. Bruni? Weekend at Bruni's. <laughs> not, not, yeah. a good, not a good time. No, no, actually, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. It would have worked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is just bullshit checking in. This is checking yeah, in and showing, like, uh, dissent, you know, saying, you know, Asha doesn't want to go north of the wall again, and Bran does. So they're just, I guess, foreshadowing the, the split between the group. Which is hilarious that they're checking in with Bran, 
when they ignored him for like his entire his entire term of puberty, like two years in the yeah, show. I guess. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, this. Yeah, this just need to be. This didn't need to be included in this episode at all. No, no, I agree with you. All right, so what appears to be in the next scene, which appears to be taking place on the same hillside, uh, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's like a this lot green, uh, green hills in the back. Uh, anyway, Kyburn is expecting Jamie Stump. It appears to be healing well enough. Uh, Jamie asks Kyburn, uh, he's like, you're good at this. How'd you lose your mace chain? Did you diddle little boys? And he's like, ha, ha, ha. No, that wasn't my thing. Uh, what was your thing? And basically, it turns out that he liked experimenting on uh, dying men to learn the secrets. Uh, in the book, it had it was said eloquently. He's like the the people at the the citadel would open the dead to learn about the living. I would open up the living to learn about the dead, which I thought oh. was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, that's some like metal bullshit. That's like so. George R. R. Martin wrote that in the book. Why didn't he write that in the fucking show? I, I, don't, I told you we got to write him. We got to we got to reach out Baffling. to him, tweet him, yeah. and say what the fuck happened here. Um, but anyway. Um, Kyburn says Jamie's chastising for him, you know, for, you know, him probably, you know, doing this to like people who didn't have families to stick up for him. Um, and Kyburn's defending himself, saying the knowledge he gains, he saved many lives and asked Jamie, how many lives have you saved? And Jamie replies half a million. And because the showrunners think this, the audience are fucking morons, Jamie has to say the population of King's Landing, like that wasn't clear enough. Um, Jamie asks again uh, about Brienne, uh, whether he sent the raven, and he said, yep, sent a raven. One came back, uh, offered her, uh, offered Locke 300 gold pieces for Brienne, and Jamie's like, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good, but uh, for some reason, <laughs> Locke believes that her dad uh, possesses all the sapphires in the Seven Kingdoms, and Jamie's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's my fault. Okay. Um... Knowing that her life is in peril, Jamie uh, takes control of the situation and forces his escort, some dude whose like job is to just take the Kingslayer to King's Landing, takes him back or else he's going to tell Tywin Lannister that he was the one that cut off his hand. So he kind of bullies his way into uh, going back for Brienne. Yeah, so Locke doesn't attempt to negotiate. He just goes nuclear and decides yeah, I was to, about to kill say, his like, hostage. Uh, why don't you send another raven going, uh, 450. Yeah. Hey, here's her. Here's her finger. Yeah. Here's her cock, like Ramsey would send. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Here's her. I don't like that implication. (laughs) I don't know. Um. But yeah. Uh. Just kind of push the issue. But yeah, like let's get nothing out of her. Uh. Doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. So, but it does set up the next scene, and you know this is a scene that like I, I. I guess they're setting up uh, Kyburn a little bit more introduction to who he is, but I yep. think we have a fair idea of who he is. But all this, like this scene, could have been eliminated, and it just could have gone from, like, straight from Jamie going out to save Brienne. Bri- like, you know, these these scenes could have been coupled together or tied together so that some of this interaction wasn't necessary. Kind of rambling, I guess, towards the end here. Anyways, um, Jamie returns to Harrenhal, and Brienne is fighting a bear with a wooden sword. Jamie confronts Locke, uh, begs to have her removed, but Locke refuses. Brienne is not doing so well against the bear, looking a lot like uh, Ronda Rousey. Uh, Jamie leaps into the pen, and Jamie uh, Jamie's keeper begins firing bolts at the bear. Uh, Brienne is able to climb out of the pen with Jamie's help. 
Uh, Brienne then helps pulls Jamie up. Uh, Locke wants to keep Brienne, but uh, Locke eventually relents when Jamie points out that uh, him he's not leaving without Brienne, and him being returned alive to King's Landing is more important than Brienne being a play toy for Locke. And Jamie leaves with a zinger. Sorry about the sapphires. Yeah, um, a couple things. Uh, I thought the bear acting like there's one point where like Brienne is it's her back, and she shoves a sword at him, and the bear catches it in one hand and basically does a left hook with the other <laughs> with the other yeah. paw. Do you remember yeah. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Brienne has like this horrible gash on her neck but somehow she didn't bleed out um uh i don't know um i she guess just got I, smacked in the face and you didn't even really notice any difference yep i mean uh, uh that's like of course they had to use like a fucking grizzly bear they couldn't just be like a, a black bear or some other you know any bear will kill you if i can <laughs> you know a, 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 if you're in a pen with a a black bear in the Smoky Mountains or something like that in a porta potty. That bear is going to kill you. Um, so, like, of course, they had to use a fucking huge grizzly bear. But whatever. Uh, it worked. I thought I liked the bear pit. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the bear pit was a bar you used to frequent in your early 20s when you were still figuring stuff out, I think, right? Oh, jeez. Awful. No, it was called the manhole. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes trunks. But yeah, I guess it's fine. Um, you know, it's it's Jamie being heroic here. He's being a true yes. hero. And once again, it just it just pisses Doug Rant rising. It just pisses me off that they don't continue Jamie's redemption arc when this is clearly Jamie becoming the you know, the idyllic knight when he's been such a piece of shit his whole life. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's such like a just a it's a pretty quick transition and then it just drops off and then right. now we think it's actually coming back. Uh, it's probably coming back, six. but you know um, you just lost all this momentum that you're building yeah. up in this season. Fair enough. Okay, so how do we feel about this episode as a whole? I, I I'll let you go first, but I I still can't get over that it's that George R. R. Martin put his name on this. Yeah, I think that's my problem with it. I mean, there's a, I understand where it is within the ebbs and flows of the show and the action, but there's a lot of stinkers and scenes in this this one. A lot of uh, some goofy dialogue, some things that just didn't seem necessary. Um, gosh, I, uh, I'm just running out of food. I only eat like four things, um, so. Uh, uh, what about a crab cake sandwich? I, I don't like crab cakes. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> how about steakums? I think we the said steakums steak before, but that's fine. Steakum uh, yeah. in a sandwich, like white bread. Uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna give it the hoagie treatment. Okay, yeah, and just like no uh, condiments, just I guess the steakum no. juice that leaks. You can't go in and dry like that. <laughs> yeah, the steakum all jus. <laughs> <laughs> you just pour it out of the yeah. You empty out the frying pan onto the <laughs> onto the Wonder Bread. Yeah. Uh, so about, about a two, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I would go two. Uh, this is south of mediocre for me. I feel like it had too many stinkers in there. Even though it had that one great scene uh, with Tywin and Joffrey, that was the highlight of the episode by far. I don't think any other scene came even close to it. So. Yeah, and that scene's also, I think, one of the highlights of the season as well. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, But yeah, nothing else redeemable here. Um, 
or at least exceptional. I don't know. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, this was successful. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like this episode, we got through it. We, we got through it. Yeah. I'm going to congratulate myself, and I'm going to congratulate you. Uh, thank you. And thank you, Sam Shu, the listener who comments on uh, on ashamedofthrones.com. Uh, I suggest you all do that, but you're not going to listen to me, so uh, go fuck yourselves. And uh, I guess we'll see you next Tuesday, right? I wonder why. Yes, thank you to everyone for listening, despite uh, Doug's constant uh, hostility. See you guys. See you guys.